Welcome to the JetRails podcast, supporting you through the airwaves with information about website and e-commerce technology and strategies from design and development to security, marketing, conversion rate optimization, and web hosting. We bring you insights from industry leaders and experts hosted, edited, and published by me, Robert Rand, your friendly neighborhood tech ambassador. Hi, and welcome to an episode of the JetRails podcast. I'm Robert, your host, and today we're going to be going back through uh, actually how we started, and we're going to be talking about Magento, Magento and its current state, and more importantly, the future of Magento. Um, with me today, we've got a, a great guest. We have Mayer from the, the Bemeyer team, um, and he's really um, highly focused in the industry, like so many of our guests um, on Magento and, and other e ecosystems that really service open source e-commerce. And um, with no further ado, Mayer, would you do the honor of introducing yourself? Sure. Hey, Robert. I'm Mayor Bianchi from Bemeyer. We're an e-commerce solutions agency based in New York City and uh, founded in 2014. Awesome. And I always love to ask, how did the agency get its name? So the name Bemeyer means be one who enlightens. And we're all about empowering merchants to make great business decisions and avoid pitfalls that they can, you know, hopefully make them succeed with a little less pain and friction in their journey and also come out smarter from what they're doing. Good. Well, hopefully we'll shine some enlightenment <laughs> through this episode today. So yeah, you'll keep me on track with that. Uh, now, so thinking of it, even from how I just introduced you a few moments ago, you know, you're best known for your work in the Magento ecosystem, but, you know, JetRails partners with, with other platforms as well. And, you know, while we're best known for our Magento work and, and it's certainly a majority of what we do, uh, what other platforms have you been looking at? You know, what what are you seeing overall in the open source landscape? I think it's fair for the audience to kind of level set with, um, you know, with the fact that we all, you know, do or don't um, in, in the industry work with other platforms or really, you know, have our uh, our feet in uh, in other places as well. Sure. So you know, like our company has kind of a global ideology, and so we support major e commerce platforms. Uh, additional ones besides Magento are Big Commerce. We're a certified partner. We also support uh, Shopware. We're getting into that, working on enterprise partnership there as they make an entrance to the U.S. market. And additionally, we uh, fully support Shopify and Shopify Plus. And a little thing about SaaS platforms where Big Commerce paints themselves as the open SaaS, so ability to do some more intense customizations. And for us, it's all about the right use case for the right merchants at the right time. Yeah, and that's how I've always felt about it from my agency days forward that, uh, you know, like anything else in life, these aren't one size fits all solutions. So, you know, it's it's always about figuring that out and the playing field evolves. Um, so, you know, when we think about Magento, uh, you know, a lot of us started with Magento 1, of course. And, you know, by the time that Magento 1 hit end of life, it felt like a very mature product. The thing worked. Um, it didn't require a ton of heavy patching and things, you know, things were released, but, um, that was mostly having to do with other dependent technologies changing, you know, new versions of PHP, things like that. Um, how would you consider Magento 2 today? Right now we're in the Magento 2.4 family, you know, we're at 2.3, uh, they're about to release 2.4 before we know it, uh, 2.4.4, uh, excuse me, uh, you know, how... How do you see the the two four um, 
branch that we're living with right now. So 243 and, and the upcoming 244. Have we hit stability? I would say it's definitely more stable than it has been. I think because the nature of Magento 2 has been to change so much over the major versions that it didn't find itself landing in as much of a stable place as 1.9 did because there's always been major platform shifts amongst the version changes. And so I would say while 243 is the fastest, supports the latest versions of PHP, and therefore you're getting better performance, stability really comes from stability of feature set. And because the platform is still defining what it's going to be, I would say that it's still a challenge to keep up in terms of you know staying current on every little change. And so I would say that it's an interesting time to be a Magento merchant where you're also getting more out of every release. So it gives you more to react to. So I'd say, yes, it's a heck of a lot more stable than earlier versions, but at the same time, always fraught with new challenges. So it's a very interesting time to be a Magento merchant. Well, and at the same time, e-commerce is evolving at a different pace that the table True. stakes to really you know, be able to grow and scale today are different than I think that they were in, in some of those earlier days. So, you know, it's, it's almost no surprise that the, the stack updates, although, you know, that's not to take away from the fact that the, the first years of Magento 2 were, <laughs> were awful. Um, so it really did take time to get through that, that really rough 2.0 and, and, you know, 2.1 trying to stabilize and so on and so forth exactly. um, to get to where we are today. Uh, you know, you know, when a lot of us started with Magento, of course, you know, the e-commerce landscape was very different. The types of merchants that were signing on to Magento were really, it was everyone. It was, you know, mom and pops. It was, you know, B2B, B2C, D2C, you know, whatever acronyms I could throw out there. Uh, it, it was every size business from startups. Uh, and, you know, the sky was the limit. Where do you see the alignment for Magento today, whether we're talking Magento open source or Adobe Commerce? What is the, you know, what are the table stakes to really be looking at it? What do you, you know, who does it align sure. with today? So I think Magento is really great for businesses that require more flexibility and want to customize things to be their way and have specific processes in which they process orders or manage their inventory. And all of those aspects of the system are really strong. And then as it relates to how you have different front end procedures or ways of interacting with the website, it once again lends itself to being carved in your image. So for any business that is really specific in their use cases, and especially also B2B, it's great. Um, I would say that like I still find it being a joy to work with for those use cases because it allows them to expand their multi-store functionality or um, be very, what's the word? Be very nimble or agile in how they adapt the system to their needs versus in a lot of other cases, you're adapting to the limitations of that system. And I would say, that's where Magento is so strong. So granted, that's not for as many DTC or small startups because they're focused on marketing growth challenges and aren't so focused on having everything be their way. But for more mature, medium-sized and bigger businesses, I find that it's like a great sweet spot if they know how to work it into their routines and, ex and set their expectations accordingly. So I see it being really strong when you know what you need to do with your e-commerce platform aside from marketing and growth. Yeah, you know, at, for years and years, I, I used to say, you know, Magento isn't the do-it-yourself platform. It's not the uh, the the no no frills or or no maintenance platform, but it's the platform of yes. 
that if that's a good way to put it yeah you know so that was always the way that i described it you know this is the platform that if you need this integrated if you need this custom workflow if you need you know whether it's on the user side or the back end uh you know for operations uh exactly. it can be done um there might be a price tag to go along with that like any custom work in any custom shop of any kind whether it's for physical goods uh or or for you know for service industry work but um you can get across the finish line. You're not going to get stuck in the mud in quite the same way uh, as a platform that you don't have that level of access to. So it's it's interesting that, you know, I think that we've seen some of that movement a little farther um, upscale uh, mm-hmm. where, you know, some of those startups and SMBs that maybe when you and I got into this um, that would have aligned now have those other options to look at. Um, but for a lot of those more established businesses, you know, it's it's very hard to give up that that kind of um, that that kind of custom customization, um, that ability yeah. to have that manifest destiny. And I also wanted to add that I think a lot of people like if they see it as a competitive advantage, that freedom can really help you stand out in your industry because it allows you to innovate and do more with your processes, and you can insert more efficiency or do something to outpace your competition. Whereas if everyone's playing on the same set of rails, you don't have those opportunities. So I think that's what's really cool about the platform. Yeah. I know that you'd recently posted, um, you know, an article kind of describing why you still, you know, were so happy with working with Magento. And I'm, uh, I, I'll make sure that we, we share a link to it in the, uh, in the show notes. But, nice. you know, that I could, I could tell before, bringing you on here that you have that passion for what you do with it and and what it it allows you to achieve. And I think it's interesting for someone that's really, um, that's experienced with a lot of other platforms, you know, getting that kind of insider look versus, you know, you do find a lot of agencies that really work with one platform. And so they don't have that same breadth of experience. Um, Now, I I know, you know, project to project, these are going to be completely different, but Thinking back to what I said earlier about table stakes, mm-hmm. how what's a minimum project size on Magento? Not thinking dollars so much as as hours, because you know I, I can go to Shopify or Big Commerce and launch a site without changing any code um, pretty quickly and easily. That they're great for that. You know that that's what these platforms. The same with Squarespace and you know mm-hmm. and, and all the other you know uh, I don't know you know Wix or Weebly or whatever's you know operating out there in the wild. Um, what is it like to try to launch uh, a Magento 2 site today? Would you say sure. it's at least 100 hours or? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would say that like you should plan at least like if you're in a real pinch, you can do it in a week or two. If you were in a pinch and you had a crunch time, it's not impossible. Fortunately, because of managed hosts like JetRails and other partners where it's like you can centralize your assets quickly if your whole e-commerce team is ready to go. There's nothing really stopping you if you know how to push the buttons. Where you maybe run into bottlenecks is if you're building out a really customized front end or you have to add complex feature sets which match those business requirements. So I would say, yeah, a minimum 100 hours, minimum more. uh, I would say, you know, you want to budget yourself three to six months to do a really good job. But at the same time, that's usually because teams are figuring out their requirements as they go along and they're not handing you a binder of requirements on day one saying, here you go, here's everything. So I would say, you know, it gives you the ability to do that where you can all the setups and all these things and temp- can be templated and reproducible. 
especially if you have your catalog data and you know how you're going to merchandise it and how you're going to set up your attributes. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's right there for the taking. And so you'd be surprised how much you can achieve with the focus. And there was actually that mage derby, which was like a hackathon a couple years ago where teams could see how fast they could build a, a fully functioning Magento store in a short span. So that to me, that just proves that it's about having your ducks in a row and knowing how to get there. And then you can match that to your business requirements. Once again, if you're doing a complex ERP integration or other stuff like that, you have to account for those bottlenecks. But you know, it's generally reasonably speaking, I want to say minimum, give yourself 90 days would be a, a smart move, but it can be done sooner. And in terms of minimum maintenance, would you say, you know, that they need a certain amount of hours per month or per quarter or something like that, just to keep up with security patches and other basics to keep the site healthy? Yeah, as we're seeing now, you want to have a, you know, you want to try to account for the needs of your infrastructure and keeping your installation healthy. You want to account for regular deployments or feature releases, and you want to account for security patches. So it's generally recommended that you have the support of an agency or an in-house developer in order to best make use of the platform. The last thing you want to do is have a need and then not have anyone to fill it. And like, fortunately, there's a lot of flexible arrangements out there where people are being sold and told, oh, you're going to be fully dependent on a developer. But just remember, like any complex piece of machinery, you need to just know how to operate and maintain it and also know what you need to maintain it. So fortunately, there's a large supply of those people and you're not at the mercy of any one party if you know about how to manage your technology. So I would say once people get past the notions or get past, you know, very certain types of thinking, it's not as scary as it may seem or as complex as it may seem, as long as you have that support ready to go. And, you know, in terms of the base needs of the platform today, you know, if you were talking to somebody about that kind of maintenance, would you tell them, you know, that you're probably going to need on average a minimum of five hours or 10 hours a month budgeted and maybe you won't always use it? Or what, what are those table stakes for keeping the site healthy today? For And understanding that some sites are much more complex, have a lot more extensions that might need to be tweaked and updated and things along the way mm -hmm. to, to keep them, um, you know, uh, up to the latest, uh, you know, software versions and things. Um, but, you know, if, if you were managing someone's expectations, sort of that risk analysis of, sure, look, if you're going to go on Magento, you better be ready for X in order to, to keep yeah. uh, PCI compliant and, and keep, you know, keep it functioning well. What does that look like these days? So I would say you want to have a minimum of 20 hours a month just at your disposal. Um, you're not necessarily going to need them all, depending once again on how aggressive you are in adding new features or doing changes to the website. But it's the kind of thing where you want to have this at your disposal instead of an afterthought, because then that's how you'll stay current or stay aware and engaged, especially if as a function of that relationship, that's one of the conditions is, hey, keep me informed of what's changing. Keep me informed of what my needs are, because just because an extension has an update you don't necessarily need to update it. It just means if you need to take advantage of a new feature or especially if there's a security update, you're aware of it. So it's really all driven by the need of how you keep your platform updated and patched and then what descends from that need and also how aggressive you are in pursuing new features and pixels and implementations and those sort of things. Because at the end of the day, a, a business is a functioning, living, breathing organism. So it's not intended to be static. And the e-commerce platform is a key pillar of that business. So you know, you need to anticipate that instead of run from it. Awesome. And you know, I know that Adobe is seeing 
two four as being at least in their eyes you know much more mature um they know that these major version upgrades do take extra work and do put extra pressure on merchants and so they've been pushing off um a, a magento two five and really iterating um on two four and keeping their roadmap scheduled around iterating on two four um and part of their goal right now, as opposed to adding a lot of new stuff, is actually they've you know listened to the community and, and they've been trying to slim down the core, take out a lot of the core bundled or, or vendor bundled extensions mm-hmm. that had been included. Other things that you know for those that aren't using it, it's just excess code to manage. It's it's bloat. Yep, extra overhead. Uh, yeah, and so how do you see that impacting both new builds and maintenance um, on an ongoing basis? Sure. So I think that as you have a slim down core, it'll make it easier to maintain because you're going to be choosing what you want to add. And then it won't be as many extra things that can cause problems. So you're going to see a settling period as those things are removed. It may introduce new bugs. But I think fortunately, now you won't have to go and disable those things and rely on third party things to help eliminate those dependencies. And I think you're going to find that it will be a more lightweight, slimmer application, which will make it run faster and run smoother. So ultimately... I see it as a positive sign because it's not as if these extra packages won't be available or these vendor extensions won't be available if they continue to support the product. You know, many of them are essential parts of an e-functioning e-commerce site, but only if you're using them. Therefore, I would say the slim down approach is a good idea based especially on how the application is constructed with composer and dependencies and packages. You can just, you know, choose your own adventure, so to speak, in that new world. And so um, I'm excited for that because it only means more flexibility. Yeah, I know side by side, they've been talking about putting out fewer major um, updates per year, fewer, uh, you know, what I'll call quality updates, you know, Mm -hmm. where, hey, you know, security patch is needed. You know, that's a little different. But um, similarly, do you see that helping to free up some of those resources, uh, you know, to be able to better iterate the website, add more features, you know, add more extensions, do other things. Do you think it'll have a, any significant impact um, or, you know, well, is it more of a minimal thing? I would say that the, it depends on the usefulness of those no, new features, right? So for example, they added page builder support. And I know we may talk about that, but page builder support is something that merchants would have to adopt. So it's not necessarily useful or, you know, there's, Things like that where it's a new feature, but unless you build it into your workflow and people know about it, it's just going to sit there anyhow. Yeah. So unless it's a new build with someone that intends to use it and and knows knows of it and, you know, and so on, you're not going to get much out of it that you're already up and running. Your content's not set up in page builder. Exactly. Having the features. It's that or it's whether you or it's whether it's something you've been asking for. But something I would like to address out of this is the sheer volume of closed PRs for bug fixes and other reported issues. I think that's a missed opportunity on Adobe's part when they had the community engineering initiative is anytime the community was vocal about an issue with the platform and it could be verified, if it could have been fixed and rolled in, that's where you start to see this massive impact from these uh, more life, you know, like quality of life releases, because then a bug that let's just say everyone encounters this bug when they first set it up. Sure, it only costs them 20 minutes. But that's 20 minutes times thousands and millions of people, for example, or, you know, people running into an issue when a certain set of conditions happens and it's a known issue. Eliminating that will go a long way for the stability and the perception of the platform. So I think 
that should never cease and that should only increase because it just means that's where you get a more robust, stable product. It's not just on new features. It's eliminating any kind of challenges that are people are running into, especially when they've been reported and documented and repeated. Yeah, you know, and I'll I'll come back around to a couple of things that you mentioned, but um, you know, as as here I was talking about you know fewer patches and updates. I know that there's a small patch that we're recording this on a Monday. It was released yesterday uh, yep. for a major, a critical security vulnerability. They gave it a nine point eight out of ten. Um, I know my friends at Sansec and and others are are talking about it. We've already put up a blog post on our site that, uh, that I'll share in the show notes, but, um, you know, it looks obviously significant. It doesn't require the user to have, uh, the, the hacker to have admin credentials or any kind of authentication that, you know, it's, uh, it's a really more of an open, uh, security hole that, that needs to be fixed. So a few lines of code to fix it, but, um, how are you seeing this one from your vantage point? Uh, is, you know, uh, luckily I, I, and, and I think Sansex said it well in some of their communications that we haven't seen one quite like this since 2015, since shoplift. So, um, like this isn't something that we encounter very often, but, uh, you know, yeah, just another day in paradise. (laughs) I would say that it's important for awareness to be raised first and foremost, because there's so many merchants in so many disparate areas of the planet or all, you know, at installations in various States. So there's a good chance people are having vulnerable installations, but they're not in a channel where they would know about it. So I would say people like Sansec and Mr. DeGroot need to keep raising awareness and Adobe does as well. Even if it's like uh, painful to acknowledge, it's really important because that's what what happens. It's not so much what happens on day one. It's six months from now when statistics come out like, oh, yeah, there's 30,000 sites probably infected in the wild. And it's caused this much credit card fraud because then you get the FBI and other parties involved and it comes down from the top from like Visa and credit card associations. You start to see that's where the platform's reputation takes a hit. So it's kind of like firefighting. Like we need to be on the front lines of this fire and anyone who has a merchant on two, three or two, four should really get ahead of this and patch because you don't want to be part of that problem because it's already going to be a bunch of stores that aren't aware of it that are going to suffer from this. So I would say it's more of a cause and effect. And so anything like this should be stamped out as quickly as possible because it's not that much work to patch it. And it's uh, more of an inconvenience to deal with the fallout later. Yeah. And I mean, that's, you know, that's the nature of this where, you know, often for PCI compliance, we say, you know, patch within 30 days. And that's, as we've touched on in other episodes of our podcast, that may be a bit of a stretch uh, for based on, you know, how, security operates uh, and, and hackers operate today. But, you know, this is one of those where it's like pa- patch immediately. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, look, it's much better than the aftermath. Um, I, I'm expecting, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not hoping for it, but I'm expecting that we'll see uh, an outsized fallout from this particular one because of the nature of it. Um, you know, and, and luckily we don't see these kinds of uh, more critical security vulnerabilities often at all. Uh, but you know, that, that's the nature of, of the beast. Um, you know, we'll be out there trying to, you know, ring the bells and let the world know, but I'm with you that, you know, it shouldn't have to make it to the wall street journal or somewhere for people to know that there's something going on. I do miss, and, you know, you mentioned the community engineering program. Um, you know, I do miss, uh, folks like Sherry, you know, who was overseeing the Magento community forums and some of the, the other 
uh, outreach through the community and newsletters and things and Ben Marks and others that were often really good centralized sounding boards for these sorts of things. But I know that there are other people like Eric Irway and Chris Hedge exactly. and others that are are sort of uh, holding know, the torch. Yeah. You know, taking the reins on, on some of those communications. I think everyone's got other responsibilities, so they're, they're doing their best. But it seems like, um, you know, we're starting to, to come through a little bit of that post acquisition transition where some folks, you know, after a couple of years, you know, two, three years, they headed out. Um, <clears throat> and that left a little bit of a, a gap, um, you know, where some of these roles and some of these communications uh, weren't exactly, you know, they didn't exactly pass the torch perfectly. Let's <laughs> put it. Uh, Makes sense. Yeah. Or is yeah, it's a settling period. And now it's like business as usual. People know what to do, but new people. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and maybe different processes, different systems. So, you know, like they haven't necessarily picked back up at the Magento community forums or other things in quite the same way. Um, so I think it's also the True. community moving along with them and figuring out, well, where do we have to go for these notifications now? Or, you know, where where are the best places to uh, Well, fortunately, there's still the, the broadcast system as well inside of each installation where hopefully they're pushing out those alerts every time you log in to Magento. So at least you'll know about it. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. And, you know, I know that these ecosystems have been evolving. A lot of agencies that used to work on only Magento now work on a variety of platforms and vice versa. There's been a lot of diversification in the market. Um, as an ecosystem, do you, who do you see as new entrants coming in? Um, you know, have you seen new tech partners that you've been, um, yep. that you've been aligning with in the last year or two, you know, new, new players in the space that you think really enhance the experience for Magento users? Because I, I know yes. I've run into lots of new folks at all the different virtual and in-person events. And, you know, for some, it, I, I think some people miss out on some of that growth and, um, and liveliness in the community. Sure. So I would say there's two new tech partners that come to mind immediately. Fast Checkout and, uh, that, you know, Fast.co. They're doing some innovative things out there. They're a competitor of Bolt, I believe in the one-click fast checkout space. And uh, they're uh, approaching Magento and trying to go after some bigger merchants. So I think that's always cool to see big, well-funded companies going after the space. And then also you have um, companies like PDQ, which are a new like logistics platform, whereas they're open to working with Magento merchants. And then, for example, there's a payments company that we work with that just submitted a module to the marketplace and so it's great to always see that people see Magento as a source of uh, merchants that can take advantage of the platform, whether it's in, you know, uh, Asian markets or European markets or North American markets. It's, um, you know, it's still like a burgeoning ecosystem where well-funded companies see it as a strategic linchpin of their strategy. And therefore, um, they, you know, that's one of the more reasons why we're so excited to support it, because it's not a static ecosystem. It's constantly evolving. And it always is exciting when someone who wasn't in the ecosystem wants to come play in the sandbox. Yeah. You know, speaking of, uh, of newer entrants and newer tech aligning with, with Magento in your background, for those that are listening on the audio, you've got your logo. And I noticed that you've got the logo for Whova. Um, and yep. we have an episode that, that we've had that really dives deep um, into Whova. And, and I was taught to pronounce it properly uh, by, by some yep. of my European friends. Uh, yep. you know, but, 
Um, you know, Luma came out with Magento 2 in 2015, scores really poorly on core web vitals, uh, you know, that all my dev friends tell me that it's miserable to work with. You're debugging in three different places. It's an older, you know, it's knockout JS and an older coding stack. What, um, you know, how are you seeing Whova, uh, as, what's its role f- as you're seeing it today? Um, do you see other, you know, competing products really get similar attention or, you know, just yeah. your 30,000 foot view of, of where is sure. Hoova fitting into the Magento ecosystem today? So what Hoofa did, and I always start by saying Hiva for the uninitiated so they can know what I'm talking about. H-Y-V-A. Really yeah, because yeah, it looks like Hiva to the American uh, palette, right? So what, what Hoofa did that was so important is it answered a challenge that there was no common answers for, which created a source of massive inspiration for developers who are getting beat up for years on trying to solve these challenges. Hey, now we have a tool in our toolkit. So guess what? Everyone rushed to support it. Us being an early adopter, we're right now, I believe the only US partner, but hopefully there's more partners growing, but there's also a lot of suppliers in the US. And so for example, you know, where, where it's really big, is that it provides an answer to that uh, Google page speed challenge, which you're seeing really impacting websites of all platforms. And so what they did so well is they reinvigorated the Magento community that new solutions can be tackled. And even the other day I saw, and it's based on Alpine JS and Tailwind, and you know, without boring you with complex technical details, what it does is it removes those knockout JS requirements, require JS, jQuery, all the things that were really antiquated that were poor architectural decisions that have cost Magento to a lot of respect in the development world. It's eliminated that and it reduces the time to market of building front-end projects, which uh, improves client satisfaction, developer satisfaction. And then now to answer your question about other things entering the market, just the other day, I saw someone prototyping something they called Luma React. And guess what? They're just substituting the knockout or other problems with it with React and they're able to achieve very high page speed scores. So if this is also inspiring a bunch of I'm not going to say copycat movements, but the point is, it's showing, hey, you don't need to just do it this way. Guess what that does? It strengthens the Magento ecosystem. It flips common biases on their head and it ignites a spark. So I would say, you know, a huge thank you to Willem and Vinay for starting the Hoofa project because that has done uh, something that can maybe introduce a Magento 2 renaissance. And I think that's more important in the bigger scheme of things than any one product or any one theme or any one front end. It's about showing people that you you know the platform is not done innovating and you can really still do new things and solve real challenges such as your Google Lighthouse scores. Well, and as it should have been all along that you know and and has been uh the community is bringing a lot of the innovation to the table. Um I am in a Slack group that Whova operates and there oh, are too, yeah. I'm looking at my screen 1651 members of that group. So, you know, which is tremendous if you think about, you know, these developers and people, you know, really interacting and, and being involved. And, I, you know, I'm glad to see partners of ours like, like your team really, you know, taking the reins and, and getting so involved here in North America. Um, you know, we know that it, uh, it really, you know, it's a, <laughs> a European company that really started its, its bigger rollout in the EU. And, um, you know, luckily, you know, a lot of those those folks, you know, were able to act as the the proof of concept, the pilot, um, and get it to the stranglehold that it's starting to take now, where, 
you know, why would you want to build with Luma today if you're working on a new project or if you're stuck on speed and core web vitals and things, you know, at some point, is it just time to replace the theme? Um, the same way that I remember years and years ago having to replace themes because we needed something mobile responsive. Yep. And, you know, I'm dating myself, but yeah. <laughs> you can either hack it together or you have to start fresh. And that's one of the complex challenges is because you're always in this in-between space, you know, matching where a brand is at to where the product is at and then having to fill in the gaps. And that's where your agencies and experts come in. Yeah. And, you know, I know that the folks behind Hoover, you mentioned Willem and, and Vinay, um, that uh, they were part of uh, an initiative uh, called the Magenta Open Source Community Alliance, MOSCA for short. Uh, and, you know, it's a community led an initiative to make sure that um, especially for the SMB community, for, uh, you know, young developers getting involved, that sort of thing, that there's a, a strong product here. Um, and for the community in general, that there's a strong product um, for the foreseeable future above and beyond anything that Adobe is doing, um, you know, because Adobe has certain corporate needs and goals that aren't always as visible. Now, I know since that, um, the Magento uh, Association sat there open source task force and which uh, which Willem and Vina sit on and, and, you know, have had good things to say. And there seems to be a lot more uh, communication that Adobe has been releasing an open source roadmap and, um, and, and you know, really trying to because I think it was mainly it was a communication issue um, where, you know, I mean, at, at the heart of it doesn't mean that that like. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, it doesn't mean that there weren't other, you know, real, real issues. And I'll bring up a couple yet. But, um, you know, but I, I think that was at least at, at the heart of, you know, it wasn't what Adobe was doing. It was the lack of knowledge of what Adobe was going to do. Uh, and, and so at least there, there's a real concerted effort on Adobe's part um, to to help address that. But, um, you know, and, and I'll ask for some general thoughts around Mosca, but at, at the highest level, if they came out with a distribution or a fork of Magento 2, and I know they've already done a lot of work on, on that to be able to technically um, keep up with that, uh, you know, would you support it? Do you see that as uh, as sort of something important in the community right now to kind of have that that additional um, effort or, or that backup option? So I need to go back in something you said, because you said a lot. And we need to unpack that. So first and foremost, you got to look at relationships, right? Adobe being the parent company that owns Magento software and a relationship. Like any interpersonal or human to human or organization to human relationship, it's about communication. So just like in your personal relationships or in our personal relationships with friends, family, and significant others, that, that same thing can happen, right? Where you're not addressing someone's needs and they don't know it. And then it comes to a head and a volcanic eruption of emotions before you can deal with it. And then it's your reaction to that that determines the future of that relationship. And so just in this case, I would say once again, because Willem took such a strong stand and Vinay took such a strong stand and all the people that signed the letter, there was a letter like, you know, Martin Luther's thesis that was like the Protestantism movement of Magento that woke Adobe up because they were sitting in their high castle, not caring, or I'm seeming let's like sell they some didn't Adobe care. commerce licenses no, they, and let's yeah, not they, worry they about were, anybody they're else. They're in their high castle. Meanwhile, the yeah. peasants on the ground are suffering. You know, there's a plague going on, a plague of SaaS taking the ecosystem by storm. And so, you know, I really have to say that they were woken up by this. And now what we're living in 
is because there was just something last Friday, the Dev Exchange, where new initiatives were announced. And you do have to thank people like Chris Hedges and Eric Irway because they also are responsible for key aspects of the product and these relationships. And all of a sudden, from the top down, I believe there's been an epiphany at Adobe to, to work with the community. And then now people from the mosque are more satisfied, it would seem. And therefore, what you're having now is Adobe announced the STS and the LTS versions and all these changes that are coming that really preclude the need to fork the product if they, if they have to. And so I would say... I support a forking because that's the point of open source software, just like we've seen with Magento One. There's still merchants running it, and there's great organizations, too, to be exact, that are supporting long term compliance. Yeah, and we're, and we're partnered with Open Mage and Mage One, absolutely. Exactly, yeah. Open Mage and Mage One. And, and the point is, if it wasn't for some of the more bullying aspects of the payments industry, they would be even more successful because they could be compliant based on all the qualifications. And so, my point is that. It's more important this reaction than whether you need a fork. But of course, we would support it because that's what freedom and open source is about, is about being able to choose. And so I'm really excited for what's going to come out of this, because just like the community spoke up, now there's more power in the hands of that relationship. And when two parties are working together, even better things can happen. So I'm excited for what this is going to do, especially given that the Magento Association in its current form may have outlived its purpose. And there's talk of a Magento Association 2.0. And I'm really excited to see what that looks like. Because once again, this is an example of democracy in action. I know you think of democracy, you think of government. But think about it. People voice an opinion to a larger, more powerful organization. And they were heard using the power of Twitter and other avenues where you, know, you have a disproportionate amount of power to call attention to something. And all of a sudden, we're seeing change. And so to me, that's such an important example for anyone in any community that you actually can make a difference if you work together. And so got to commend the people of that Mosca Alliance for doing this, because look at what we are seeing now as a result is actual change and actual commitment to results. Yeah. And yeah. So I had a lot to say on that, too. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, I, I lined you up for a lot there. So um, I appreciate you unpacking that and um, and addressing it head on. You mentioned a couple of um of versions of Magento uh, with some acronyms that were brought up from the Dev Exchange, and I know if if I if we don't tell people what those are, uh, I'm yeah, going to get confusing. some write-ins. So, could you spend a few seconds talking about those upcoming uh, versions and, and sure. what Adobe's? I'm, oh. I may butcher it, but STS means short-term support, right? And LTS is long-term support, and it has to do with which features. So, this goes back to your earlier question about a leaner, slimmer core and debundling some of the core architectural changes like Elasticsearch, like uh, um, multi-source inventory and MSI, and making sure that people have a, a choice and a freedom of what they use. And especially this goes back to Hufa and the Luma front end being a core part of it. And when Luma is getting deprecated and what is your option for having a business in a box? Because that's the other thing of why the front end architecture is so important for Magento is you need to be able to install a store have a running front end, customize it a little bit, but have it work. But if that goes away, all of a sudden you must build headless or must find other alternatives. And that will really discard or disadvantage a certain subset of merchants. And that's where the SaaS platforms are doing such a great job because, hey, you start a business, you can go buy a theme, the themes work, they're not buggy or, you know, whatever it is, they come from a more verified source than if you bought like a theme off Theme Forest, for example, you're in for a world of hurt. And these Swiss Army knife try to do it all themes. No, 
no shame on them for trying. Stuff. Yeah, you know, that they just no shame on them for trying, but they really actually are a mistake. And hence the enlightenment part of Bemeyer. We do not advise you to buy one of these do it all themes from Theme Forest and God bless their creators. But, you know, that's the point is you need a credible out of the box working front end because at the end of the day, that's what users are interacting with. Your customers are adding to cart. And so back to STS and LTS, once again, it's committed forks from the top that allow for more flexibility in how you use the product. Yeah, yeah fantastic. And I know we're going to be hearing a lot more about that stuff uh, upcoming. There's a lot of other things that um, Adobe is testing and rolling out. A lot of SaaS products, a lot of things that will mm -hmm. be available through the Magento marketplace to open source users and to Adobe Commerce users, um, you know, that you know, they've got their Magento payments, they've got uh, things that relate to store fulfillment that they've been doing in partnership with Walmart, um, their express checkout with Bolt, which I'm excited for. Yep. It looks real cool. Um, Shout outs to Bolt. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, they've got all these different things happening, um, you know, there that I think that a lot of merchants will be surprised when they see how much lands uh, are, and I'm expecting a lot of it will probably come out, um, you know, with 244 and 245 even that some of these things, I, I don't know that they'll be out of beta that quickly, um, you know, but uh, but we'll see. And, you know, some of them, it ju they just may release whenever because it's in the marketplace, it's SaaS, it doesn't, ha it's not dependent on a version update. Exactly. Uh, so that's, I think that we may see a little more activity there with, you know, some vibrancy of, uh, of capabilities and things that you can just, you know, it becomes more modular. You can choose to add as you see fit. Um, as long as the core is strong, then, you know, then that all, all works well. Um, now, I know that there are some dependencies that are in Magento 2 that weren't in Magento 1 that do make it, um, you know, a bigger platform, a little harder uh, to get started with and, and to maintain things like Elasticsearch um, that, that are now part of the stack. Uh, do you have any feeling for the complexity of Magento 2 as it stands now? Um, you know, thinking about, uh, and I know that even for the Mosca folks, that that was something that they, uh, that they talked about through their communications, um, including at different live events, uh, you know, trying to make it uh, an easier platform for SMBs that really needed the flexibility, including B2B and, and other more unique use cases um, versus just for the more, you know, for the larger businesses. Sure. So I would say that comes from who is running the product and how it was being architected along the versions, because I think it's great that you have some of these uh, more, you know, different sectors of the community asking for different things. And so, for example, the ability to not be dependent on Elasticsearch and be simply dependent on MySQL is, well, it's part of the roots of the product and simplicity because not every business needs to have such complex technical requirements. Once again, I think when you work with managed hosting, you really reduce your dependency on worrying about managed hosts if they're worth their salt, like JetRails, is going to address those dependencies head on. And then you won't have to worry about it because it's just going to be one more uh, Kubernetes pod running in your cluster or on your dedicated server, one more service that's running. And so it's not something that is uh, too much concern to me. But then again, when you're dealing with different types of infrastructure and different types of DIY scenarios, it is a serious dependency and it can cause people a lot of grief. 
Granted, I think Elasticsearch technology is really interesting and adds uh, performance, you know, reduces other performance bottlenecks and you can really index and archive a lot of records in a fast way, but not everyone needs that. And I think once again, having options to reduce those dependencies is really smart. And one of the reasons why I really respect some of our more senior members of the Magento community and, you know, in the European wing of the community for having different opinions on that. And I think it's really important that, um, you know, it exists because then it keeps the product healthier instead of going down one avenue and becoming only one flavor. Yeah, you know, I promised I'd talk about some issues that, uh, you know, that, that the community has still been facing with Adobe. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, if they if they leave all those dependencies, especially with the these other forks and things, if, you know, uh, exactly where some of those things go. Look, I'm interested to see they brought Page Builder down to Magento open source where the community could really have at it um, and, and help iterate it, hopefully. Uh, you know, I'm interested to see if they do that with some other Magento, uh, you know, Magento enterprise features, you know, things that go back mm -hmm. a ways to the, to the old EE days, you know, before it was yeah, Adobe were, commerce. Uh, yeah, or things that were in M1 and then that weren't in M2 or were changed how they work. Yeah, or, or just they're there, but they're stagnant. Um, they're not exactly. really part of the sales pitch for Adobe commerce. They're not part of the big value prop and no one's paying them any attention. No one's evolving them. And I think some of those features might be nice to see pulled into uh, open source where they can evolve and they can bring more value to the community. But, you know, slimming the core, adding things, there's, uh, you know, I suppose that, that there are different goals in mind. But I think even, you know, now I, I wouldn't want to take away from my friends that sell extensions to do some of these things. But imagine you go to, let's say, big commerce and gift cards are an in included feature for users. You come to Magento and it's only included for Adobe Commerce. Um, you know, I've used the the phrase table stakes a few too many times in this particular episode, but, you know, sometimes, you know, and I think that's why they brought one of the reasons that they brought page builder to open source was that it was becoming more of a necessity. Um, what else becomes more of a necessity and not really a luxury anymore and not something that's impacting the sale one way or the other um, for the, uh, the Adobe commerce product. You know, so I think it's interesting, but um, to come back to an issue that I know I've been tracking with the Adobe team um, sometime last year, as best as I understand, there is a program where Adobe uh, for years and years, uh, you know, was giving uh, dev licenses to extension developers so that they could test extensions against Adobe Commerce. So let's say, you know, you're a small dev team and you created something cool that brings value to the, you know, Magento open source community, but could also be used by the Adobe Commerce community. It's one community, um, you know, but two different user bases, right? Could, could you potentially, you know, just make sure it works and push it out there? Uh, they stopped renewing those licenses last year. And everyone that I brought it up to at Adobe was surprised. No one was aware. No one, no one knew who made the decision that it felt last year a little bit um, discombobulated because look, you know, why, why wouldn't the Adobe Commerce team want Adobe Commerce users to get access to as many extensions as possible? Exactly. And why wouldn't Adobe want developers to be able to get access to that extra, you know, even though it's a small sliver of the overall Magento market, you know, why not make them, you know, th those users available to the devs 
I know at, at JetRails, we have a um, we have a few extensions, one in the Magento marketplace that's very popular uh, for allowing users to manage Cloudflare through their Magento admin. Mm-hmm. It's got some great features. Um, it, it's highly used. We give it away for free. There's no kickback from Cloudflare. There's no kickback from Adobe. It's just a, you know, it's open source. Um, we make it available to everyone. Um, so, you know, it's the kind of thing where we were, you know, enjoying having that, uh, that testing capability. We're now into February. And, you know, so this has been going on for months and months. And we haven't been able to get any change instituted. It's been brought up through the, you know, from last year to the, uh, to the new open source task force for the Magento uh, Association and um, and so on and so forth. Do you do you think that this is the year where we sort of get our our feedback under us with Adobe in in communications in in sort of that shared mission in open source? Or do you think that you know we're we're all still <laughs> trying to well, feel our way through it? Well, I would say this is an example of the extension developers not having it together like the Mosca type folks, right? Even though the Mosca folks include some extension developers, I would say there's an example of a lack of vocal, uh, you know, vocal awareness of these problems because then maybe they would have got the attention of Adobe and reversed that. So I think now that the avenues are open and they're listening more, now is the time for those parties to really speak up because at the end of the day, it is doing a disservice because then it may be less lucrative for an extension developer to support those merchants, which overall hurts the ecosystem because Adobe isn't making competing products or everything and all those features aren't in the core. So if you want a more robust, healthy ecosystem, you need to support the extension developers. One more thing that you brought up that we didn't bring up, but that this brings up to me is the whole move to turn into subscriptions. And now it's all of a sudden become more expensive to operate a Magento store like Amnesty. 300 bucks for the first year now 40 percent discount on the second year so you're paying forever they're like hey let's be greedy like the shopify marketplace we don't want to provide value anymore i'm pretty shocked i mean the, the cost is similar but it's just the way it's presented it's like you you're open source but you don't own anything in your store kind of leaves a sour taste in my mouth because it's like are they putting kill switches in their extensions now and so once again the community needs to speak up and push back about that because what you have is a concentration of power in the hands of too few, just like Adobe has too much power. And so you've got to be, you know, awareness of that because all of a sudden on the merchant side, as an agency, we're recommending, hey, you need to buy these 10 extensions when you build your store. All of a sudden, that's a multi-thousand dollar decision. And then next year, you're going to be paying for it. And then previously, we're like, no, don't worry, you're paying once. Hey, if you need updates, you got to pay for the support. But it's a very clear model. Now it's like you're on the hook forever. So you have to start talking about your stores as a three-year decision, a two-year decision, a one-year decision. You know, it's like you're going to be forecasting out costs differently, which once again makes the conversation more mature, but the way we talk about extensions has to change. And so, you know, tying that to what Adobe is doing, people just need to be more vocal because I think ultimately it's a good thing if extension developers can support Adobe Commerce, and that's what's really important here. Yeah, and I'm hoping that for for a lot of these extension developers, and that seems to be the expectation of the Adobe team, for the moment, um, is that a you know you don't have to keep the subscription in order to keep using the module that it's not actually SaaS that that's a basically they wanted it to be more feasible to go through the Magento marketplace, buy the extension, and keep getting the support 
um, and not have that run out so that you'd get version updates and other iteration. And, um, you know, and if you were keeping the site for 10 years, which I know a lot of people on Magento one that have certainly managed that, um, that it's not completely stagnant and that you don't lose that that relationship with the uh, the extension developers and that the extension developers aren't expected to iterate, et cetera, and keep something going with no money flowing toward it. Um, however, that you would still have the code and and ideally, from what I was told, that you'd still get access to security patches and such, although I imagine that'll probably come down to extension developer by extension developer. Yes, um, of course. You know, so if you have the code and you get your security patches, I still feel good about it. Um, I see where Adobe wanted to get at that, you know, so... Because otherwise, everyone was just going to whether it was Amnesty or Headworks or Mageworks or this one or that one, and going to a different website to sign up for the ongoing subscription or to renew a subscription after they bought the extension. So Adobe mm-hmm. wasn't getting their cut. <laughs> oh, I didn't think so, about that. Yeah, see, it's it's a money play. Um, you know, so they yeah, basically like the Apple App Store, Epic Games, Google Play Store conversation. But once yeah. again, if you're having that conversation, it means you have a healthy ecosystem that isn't being siphoned. To Shopify or big commerce, right? So we want that conversation to happen because it means there's enough business for people to care. Yeah, look, and if I've gotten anything wrong there, I we will set the record straight in the, in the near future. But um, to the best of my knowledge, you know, some of this will come down to how the developers want to sell their product. And I do know that for a lot of the developers, you know, that they've maintained too many extensions at a loss. Yeah, like they have, they're, they've lost. You know, no, that these are the winners. And now they're trying the to losers. come back. Yeah, exactly. they're trying now to they're trying out to recoup. how do they make this. Um, and look, you know, we saw companies like we watched web shop apps, um, Karen Baker's company, uh, you know, evolve to be evolve into company. Shipper HQ, which is yep. SaaS. And we've seen others, you know, that have gone pure SaaS on it, you know, where it's not it's not just an optional subscription or anything. So I'm I'm hoping that we, what we see is the hybrid model here where there's a subscription available. There are benefits that go with that subscription. Why wouldn't you want to be getting new features and other, you know, other support from the company? If you run into a problem down the road, you're going to wind up signing up for it anyway. Um, yeah, I think they should make it where you get a license to like buy a, a lot of extensions and pay a fee. You know, like instead of if you're buying one extension from a, from Amnesty, you find a way to make it more cost effective. So you use 17 of them, which then concentrates the support. You know, because I they get do it. some of that. It's I'm too pretty expensive. sure that they've got some bundles there, at least yeah. you know, to some extent. Yeah, but, but uh, you get my point. Overall, you're right. We didn't look at the. I wasn't taking into account the fact that extension developers have also been burned by all the things that have happened out there because you're not just supporting one version, right? You're supporting two, 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 three, two, four, all the different subversions of those platforms, all the different customized variations, and merchants breaking things, and developers breaking things, and so. You know, you, if any at any given moment, you're probably supporting 20 something flavors of Magento at once, not just one thing, you know, like mm-hmm. if you're a Shopify extension developer, or Shopify app store maker, you're just, you know, supporting that platform. You're not worrying about so many different versions being in the wild. But I think that this comes back to a linchpin communication. So yep. what you, what you believe to be true and what I believe to be true about the exact same evolution of the Magento marketplace didn't align. And, um, you know, and we still, you know, want to, I think the jury's still out a little bit, you know, it's probably, mm-hmm. <laughs> the truth is probably somewhere in No, between. it's not settled. Yeah. yeah I don't and think, I, and you probably I, I might know that, more than me because you're tapped in, but I'm just saying it's not exactly a settled thing because there's the reaction maybe haven't happened yet. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, you know, that it's nice when you make a big announcement, but when you actually start to charge people a certain way or, or they react. institute change, yeah. People don't That's always people come angry. up in arms about rhetoric, you know, about some new marketing campaign or something. It's not impacting them in the moment. Um, it's it's when they feel it. Well, I mean, speak of, like you said, you know, extension developers and losing access to Adobe Commerce licenses. I mean, if you're an Adobe partner spending 10K or more on a partnership, um, then, you know, you get access to certain things, but that's not the average extension developer. Um, I should probably go back to my friends at, uh, at EXTDN at the extension developer network and tell them and see what they think. That would be a yeah. good episode. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that onto itself, I think is just, you're right that there is, there is sort of a sub ecosystem, a sub community just of, of the extension developers. And once again, I'm not in their business, but I would say that I think it's not too cost prohibitive if you're going to gain access to an entire supported ecosystem to pay that fee. But there should be more clear stipulations that come with it and a benefit that you're going to be pushed to certain merchants and not be locked out because then it really is a losing proposition. Yeah, well, and, and I think for folks business back for spending like an money. Amnesty or Headworks that are really turning a good profit on extensions, that may not be an issue. I, I would see it as more the issue of the the, the dev yeah, or small, small dev team that's created something really cool. And why shouldn't, why shouldn't, you know, it's open source. That's the whole point. Why shouldn't the community get access to it? Um, that think about, you know, how, if you're selling these at, yeah, I don't know, a hundred bucks a pop, let alone giving it away for free, how many would you need to sell to Adobe commerce users to turn a profit on it? Well, it's not going to happen. Um, you know, unless you have the best thing since sliced bread that everyone needs and no one has, but the, the price the is higher. But also, they've always overcharged for commerce extensions, even if there's literally no difference, right? Like, you've had to pay three times as much just because you have that software, not because it works differently in that version. So it's funny. I've tackled that. There was a that, lot of largesse, not, fat of yeah. the land on that end, too. A long time ago, I tackled that with either, it was either Amnesty or a Headworks on this podcast. And, you know, wh why is it more? And, you know, what I've always been been told by the extension developers is those users expect more immediate support. So there's almost mm -hmm. a, you know, a higher threshold there, which is what I've found with agencies also True. that the minimum project build for Adobe Commerce or Magento Enterprise back in the day was always <clears throat> elevated in a variety of ways. And, you know, because there were certain needs and expectations, there are more modules that you have to test against things like that. But um, yeah, there's more, you know, at more stake potential too. conflicts. Yeah, but there's more at stake and there's others. So you start to bring all those things the together. That you've got to dedicate time. Um, both in, you know, in, in functionality and all and, and bug fixing and other things because there's more modules and things in Adobe Commerce and um, that the support expectations are real high. And so there, there's a variety of things like that that seem to add up. And you're going to sell a relatively small number of them compared to Magento open source. So True. you kind of balance all that out. And yeah, um, it, it, it does come off as a tax. Um, but I think it's the same tax that the merchant feels from an agency as soon as they say that they're on Adobe Commerce. To me, it feels like you <laughs> walked into a, a vendor and said, oh, this is for my wedding. Yeah, all of a sudden, the price just tripled on the yep. DJ, the florist, the, you know, whatever it is, the caterer. They hear wedding and that's the one day if you don't do everything right for them, they will, okay, <laughs> they will chase you to the ends of the earth. You cannot, you have to have backup plans, contingency plans that there is yeah. no, there's no messing that up. It's uh, true. And like you said, it's expectations. It's not just because of, it's not like discrimination. It is expectations. That's true. It makes yeah, sense. I, I've written about uh, any number of times and spoken about the differences between Magento open source and Adobe commerce. And um, oh, I just published a new article on it very recently. 
And that is one of the things that I like to, to in many of the, the pieces at least bring up, that you have to account for those sorts of things in the total cost of ownership when you're comparing the two, that there are some upcharges and other things that you might not realize. I've brought up the Magento Association at least a few times. Uh, I, I know that one of the challenges with the association is, A, it's a new nonprofit with a limited budget, limited staff. Um, and so everyone wants it to be a lot of things. And I think back to our theme of managing expectations that they've had a very hard time meeting the community where the community is, is wanted to be met. <laughs> um, Not that inclusive. So yeah. I mean, I know most of the emails that I see from the Magento Association are, just are advertisements. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're advertisements for sponsors and they need the sponsor money. So, you know, I don't know how else they show the sponsors value. So I, I get it. Yeah, but um, most nonprofits publish where they're spending their money. I don't think this one does. So I think that's a shame that it's not as transparent as it could be. You know, that's interesting. I think the books have to are, are public, but, or, or at least are available to the public. But I think you'd have to ask to see them. I don't think that they are published. Yeah, I don't I think, think they've right. made it. Yeah. And that's something a big loss because when you have such a robust community, you could really uh, gain more sponsors if you showed where your dollars are being used. Just like nobody yeah. likes to donate to charities that are spending it mostly on administrative costs. They want to see it making real world impact. Yeah. There's, you know, nonprofit websites, like I want to say Charity Navigator and yep. other things where I like to look up before I, you know, uh, I did the not same that thing. I'm trying I made to a hold anything donation. hostage, but no, yeah, yeah. Trying, you know, what am I getting involved in here? Is any of this money actually going to go where I think it's going to go? Especially on a bigger scale. Exactly. When it's a bigger charity. Yeah. No, really it's, uh, and it's, it's interesting. And sometimes look, you know, uh, organizations need some level of administration. There's going to be some some costs. So with the Magento Association, my knowledge of it is that a lot of the the budget goes to um, a company called Smith Buckland that helps with the overall organization um, and keeping them functioning and operating um, at a base level. But, you know, they don't have, you know, the same technical teams. And, you know, a lot of the other things are being done by volunteers from the yep. board, from uh, from different committees and task forces and whatever they've they've spun up, but that those people have full time jobs. Um, those exactly. are people like you and me. Um, I know I've applied to do a variety of things. I've applied to write content. I've applied to you know I, I try to find ways to help. And were you I accepted or things, what happened? Uh, so far, I I have they haven't taken me up on anything I've, I've offered to Such that I can think of. Such um, a shame. Well, yes and no. Like you know, I I had when when they were first um, you know forming the first. Um, the first board coming out of sort of their um, the folks, mm -hmm. the board that came together to sort of, you know, dream it up. Um, I had applied, but they wound up with a really strong board from all over the globe. And I didn't feel bad about that. No, of um, course. And there was the task force that I applied to the open source task force. And again, you know, they they wound up with some really strong people that I think have done a, a great job, like Willem and Vini and others of, um, of voicing different concerns and um, you know, and, and sort of being a, a little bit of a barometer for, you know, cause that's it, you know, you need people that are connected to enough other people to really, you know, yeah, the job bring of the, the task back in. Yeah. Yeah. And the job um, of task force is to get things done, right. Not just talk. So I think that's true at the end of the day. Yeah. And I don't know, I, I offered to write some content at some point. And even if maybe the topics that I, or topic or whatever that I recommended, we're in a fit. Nobody got back and said, oh, could you do this instead? You know, or, or could you recommend like, you know, a lot of it and that leaves you. But doesn't that leave you feeling disheartened? Like I applied for the task force and no, I don't think I'm more qualified than anybody, but it's about being able to give good ideas or taking in different voices. And so once again, I think that's discouraging and you have such a powerful, supposedly well-funded organization, at least to a minimum. 
you could do more with it if it feels more inclusive. And that's I, my point. So I, I've said to them right since they started, and I knew that they had a lot of applicants for the initial, you know, mm-hmm. board and all that, that, you know, what are you doing with those people? So are you reaching back out to that list to get them to volunteer in other ways? And they did create committees and they did do some other other things. Um, so they, yeah, the they tried to are- open up more. Yep. The committees are cool because also you can start more committees. It's not like there's a limit on the number of committees. Yeah. So as long as there's a good purpose behind it that, you know, that it's worth the the effort. Because again, you know, then for the board and everybody else, it means longer meetings, more more to oversee, more to approve. Um, you know, so as long as there's a, a good. So, you know, they've got things that at, look, a lot of what they're doing these days, you know, it's about the the meet Magento events around the globe and about, you know, so th- they've got there's different- much less. The pandemic probably hasn't helped. Yeah. I think that's hard. Like they had a deposit down on an event in Vegas that they the deposit is still sitting there with the um, with the venue in Vegas. So they're hoping to get come back around to um, to in person events here in the states. Um, you know, on behalf of the Magento Association, uh, let alone those um, those organizers in the community that are hosting things around the globe. And you know, right now, you know, around now, you know, seeing things about you know, meet Magento India and. Um, meet Magento Mexico. Um, and I know that Sweden, I heard at the Dev Exchange, was being planned. Um, and so that, uh, I think, awesome. is planned for later this year. And so we are seeing a lot of these things happen. And, and I've met in the last year, you know, I've met interesting people, especially because some, so many of these went virtual um, through events like, you know, Meet Magento Singapore that I would have never otherwise expected to participate with. But, um, you know, so it, there has been some good movement. I think sometimes we're removed from some of it. You know, if you're not, again, because a lot of the communications are are sales focused, are you yeah, know, just are, mailing are list, sponsors. blog, blog by sponsor. And wait, yeah, what's the, what's the podcast though? Well, yeah, yeah. So you know, I was mentioning to you earlier. Um, there's this uh, podcast that the Magento Association put out, and after all of this talk about um, you know inclusion with Magento open source and the open source community. They they wrote up the podcast as being focused on Adobe Commerce, and mm. my jaw dropped when I saw it. Of it course. was like, what a you know what what a wasted opportunity. opportunity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What a miss. Um, you know where everybody's trying to come around and have these kumbaya moments and um, and get together, but it, it turned out to be a little bit more of a marketing thing than a um, than well, a community effort, which you know it just uh, proves the point. Yeah, I'm not saying that I never mention what JetRails does on this podcast or anything like that, but primary sponsor. Well, yeah. owner, I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's uh, I'm on yeah. the clock right now, right? Yeah. Um, I I don't pull punches about that, but uh, we've invited but a tremendous number of people from the community yeah, on to open. talk about different things, you know, as it relates to the community and it really is an open forum uh in so many ways and it's intended to be and there are a lot of episodes where you could tune in and you'd have no idea what JetRails does because that's not the nature of the podcast. Yeah, you're um, building this richer background of content. And I would say that's where they're missing, right? Because think about it. Adobe doesn't use the Magento brand anymore. So why would you have a Magento Association podcast about Adobe Commerce? It should be called the Adobe Commerce podcast. And if there's a Magento branded podcast, it should be about the community. Well, but once again, I'm have to tune into more of their content yeah. and see how how it actually. Well, I'm just is reacting because I just up. heard of it. But, but yeah, but I'm just saying that's super yeah, tone deaf. I had a hard time with the marketing around it. Just it was it felt tone deaf in the moment. But yeah, uh, like everyone else, I think you know everybody 
guys trying to figure out this way forward between Adobe that spent a tremendous amount of money purchasing Magento Woe and is, me. is entitled to see my uh, billions return on investment. Yeah. 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 I think they've hit that ROI a, a bunch already. So let's, uh, you know, I don't feel too bad for them. And that's another point actually is the democratic or undemocratic nature of the association, which is what we're speaking to, right? Like think about it as capitalist business structures change to be more collective minded or, you know, the ownership is concentrated in the hands of the members. That's the problem with the Magento Association. The board members are basically ruling by fiat because they can only pass it to other people. It's a very self-enclosed ruling chamber. I read the bylaws recently and I was pretty shocked at how poor this is. There's no voting. There's no choice of like, for meaning I can't be a member of the Magento Association, even though I've been a contributing member of the community for 10 years, I have no power to influence this association. So what's the point of the association that claims to represent people if you can't can, even participate? Yeah. Anyone can be a member. They're not charging dues yet because they have Yeah, but the membership means value. nothing. Yeah, but yeah. it means nothing. There's yeah, no you're value in to it. Group and you, you know, and it, you get these emails and it, there's it, they do have the Magento Connect events, which I'm Hey, a fan I of. spoke at the event. I had an awesome yeah. merchant focused panel, thanks to Thinland Weber and Ignacio, who did the moderation. So of course there's good things happening, but the yes. attendance was extremely low for that event, right? There was very few eyeballs on the event. The which number is a shame. of members is low and the overall um, participation with a lot of these yeah. things is, is low. You know, And that's my point is like there, there needs to be an evolution. Open the books, maybe reform the alliance because apparently in the bylaws, the five board members can actually vote to cease it. So it needs, maybe it needs to like have a Phoenix moment and be rebuilt in this new movement, you know, I don't know, man. I'm That's just interesting. Talking. So you know how earlier on I was talking about 1600 and some odd people in that Whova Slack yeah. group? Yeah. I want you to give a guess how many are in the Magento Associations group. Um, I looked at it recently, but it's like guessing the number of gumballs at the doctor's office in the uh -huh. jar, the jelly bean count. I'm going to say 257, sir. 471 is what I'm seeing in the general uh, channel there. So Which is not, yeah, and it's not that active. And also no, it's, it's not... A, it's, it's also not, not a paid Slack. So once again, anything good that happened a little while ago is gone. So it's there's no retention of anything. Yeah. So I think this is we're hitting the nail on the head where I think even for the board and I know some of those board members and I know that they have good intentions they and they're care. hard at work at it and they care yeah. and they're, you know, so that's why I, I'm not I, I'm not, uh, you know, just for the sake of it, trying to be maybe um, diplomatic. Uh, yeah. You know, that I, I really do think that um, and I really do do believe from the information that I have firsthand that they are really, really trying. Um, but it it's difficult. Um, I think that, you know, that that um, which I've seen with lots of nonprofits, I think that other associations like with Drupal, they've got a different, um, uh, you know, a, a totally different budget. And they've been able to hire differently to be Ooh, able to the type operate. three and the type three type guy, three, too. Yeah. 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 Type three. But then that's my point, right? If you are, and this is directly a call out because I think the people in the committees, God bless you, right? God bless your souls. You're doing great things and you're giving your time. But if you're on the actual board, I'm calling you out. You need to do better. You need to step your game up. You're not doing enough for the community. If you're on the board, you're, you have a really important position. You're an arbiter of change. You should do better. Well, I, I'm sure I'm going to get someone from the association coming on here to I hope so to defend their good name. Now, I you know, um, 
I, like I say, from, from I'm not impugning seat, their name. They just need to do better. You know, yeah, like no, you, I, you could be nothing all personhood aside, but as an association, I, it's failing. I think it's been tremendously challenging. And I think also because the way some of us have wanted to see it was like them taking over the Magento open source code base and they don't have their feet under them for that yet. But that's and they okay. May, and I think yeah. that we'll see them get there. I think that there's now a lot more uh, opportunity for that. But I think it's also an amount, you know, a question of funding and other things as a new nonprofit. Um, they got a certain number of sponsors and things off the bat, and mm-hmm. they, I think they've stagnated with, with a lot of that, and it's difficult. Um, and I've, you know, I, I've been president of a nonprofit before. I've, you know, I... I it's hard. I, it's I've started hard. one. It's hard. It's very difficult. <laughs> yeah. So I, I am, uh, I, I'm giving those individual members a lot of, of benefit of the doubt because I'm not in the room um, for the board meetings and things. Uh, but I, I'm with you that I think that um, that expectations uh, are a lot higher and really, you know, and I think they are trying to figure out and like with membership committees and other things, they're trying to figure out, OK, paid membership, what's included? How do we bring value? Um, yep. You know, what are those next steps? So it, I don't want to say necessarily in their defense, but just eyes wide open that I I do expect even to see evolution. Even $25 a year, right? Like something very minimal. People spend that going for a drink or buying lunch. Like, you know, it's not, I'm not saying everyone has well, and if you're making your, your living from Magento, then yeah, $25 a year is really not a big Yeah, ask. but it adds up when you multiply it by the thousands, right? That's 25,000 for a thousand members, 10,000 members, 250, you know? So, so my point is it's like, not with a little, if you concentrate that, but it needs some higher minds to really step away from just the commerce banner and figure out what's good for everyone. And also, I don't necessarily agree that the Magento Association should own the repo. I think Adobe realized what they dropped the ball on and now they're Mm -hmm. taking more responsibility because you literally had thousands of pull requests get closed, hundreds of pull requests of people who put their time to fixing the product over the last five years. We could have had such a stronger e-commerce platform right now if those pull requests got merged all they had to do was merge the pull requests and put some money towards that and you would have Mm -hmm. so much more market share because people wouldn't get discouraged so it's not even about the association people put the code there yeah you know that and then people want the recognition And, and so that's where i don't think the association needs to wear that mantle what the association needs to do in my opinion is just further the advancement of awareness and adoption of the product it provides support and stewardship for it, right? Just like how there's organizations like Women Who Code or Girls Who Code, which are creating new people. You know, look at companies like Swift Otter, who he made his whole mission. You know, like I, for example, I had something Joseph's called sponsor- on the podcast. Also, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, but I had something what they're doing there. Exactly, I had something called sponsor dev. Like let's just say five, four years ago, whatever it is, where I said, hey, Bermeyer is going to sponsor Magento certifications for a few people with whatever little resources we have or self-funded company. And but then Swift Otter took that to the maximum and he began to own the certification space so much that Adobe put him on the board of certifications and reformed the certification program. And so that's just an example where one individual with his power created a sea of change. Yet you have an association with hundreds of thousands in funding and a mandate to exist that can't even do anything close to that. And I think that's an indictment on their performance as a board and, a, and, a, and an association. And so just well, using Swift Otter and Marcus Schust and all the people putting out good content yourself, absolutely. anyone who's actually out there inspiring people to use Magento, that's what the association should do is make it be proud to be part of this community so and not well, the opposite. I, I'm yeah. going to flip this around because I know that, you know, you've obviously you've got, a, 
I picked up <laughs> some serious passion around this. I've got passion. If, it's unbridled. If were, yeah. <laughs> I love it. If there, well, it is Valentine's Day that we're recording this on. So this makes sense. Uh, now, <laughs> I love you, Magento. <laughs> well, but that's kind of it that, you know, when we care, it shows that if nobody cared, we wouldn't be 12 years. This is my 12th year working with the platform. So, uh, you know, or year 11 and a half, whatever it is. A lot of blood, sweat, and tears and time has gone into this for yeah. a lot of people. Uh, if you could see the Magento Association do one or two or three things by the end of this year that they're not doing today, something specific, yep. a program, an event, a a channel, a something, what would it be that they could do that you think would really elevate it? Okay. Open the books is number one and be more transparent easy. as a nonprofit. Very easy to do, but it takes courage. Number two, paid membership recruit more members. So a whole membership drive and uh, don't be afraid to add more cooks to the kitchen in an organized way. And number three, um, rate, you know, do an um, awareness and marketing campaign so that more merchants and developers can be proud to use Magento, rest help restore the good name of the platform. Uh, you know, we don't need to be losing in an ecosystem like this. And remember, my company supports Shopify and I'm, you know, have grown more in that regard and big commerce too. And so I'm just saying, though, it shouldn't be an embarrassment or people shouldn't hear Magento and turn their nose up at it because you have this new generation of marketers, which literally savages and sabotages the reputation of Magento at every turn they have. They go to a merchant. You're on Magento. You're a joke. Why are you not moving to Shopify tomorrow? I can't believe you chose Magento. And that's pathetic. You know, Magento has enabled so much billions of dollars of commerce for people that we shouldn't be in this position. It's a fantastic product. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, that's it, my it third thing shouldn't. is restore the reputation and let's take this thing to the top well, again because yeah. it's good. Fill the vacuum. Yeah. Um, Fill the vacuum with goodness because it's out there. There's yeah. so many success so, stories. Coming back. So that was three. That was your three. Yeah. So that, that was excellent. Um, you know, I know that they've got a, that they've got folks looking at the whole membership thing. And so I, I, I know that that's their hard at work at it. Um, you know, I, I'm wondering if, in terms of getting the word out there that if they really need to partner with a lot of the companies in the ecosystem, not just sponsors, mm -hmm. but if they need some kind of, you know, like almost like a pledge drive, but not talking so much about money as, you know, throwing free swag to people for signing up or getting, um, you know, you know, some, I don't know, you know, some kind of, you know, you know, get some of the companies to sponsor <laughs> some kind of awards, whatever it is, you know, uh, that's a good idea. Decent. Independent yeah, you know, Magento gift card or whatever for the, you know, picked out of the at random it, kind of thing for every hundredth person or something that I don't know, f figure out how to get the extension development companies and the agencies and everybody else out there trying to get their, you know, all the users involved, get the devs involved, you know, how to actually bring those numbers up so that there are more voices and there is more. Yeah, um, there is more I mean, happening. I would just say anything that reduces apathy, right? Because apathy is the enemy of change or goodness. I forgot the phrase, but you know, reducing apathetic attitudes around Magento is very important because you're seeing it melt away. And so I think that's where anything that creates excitement, anything that creates ability for people to pat themselves on the back, anything that takes a young developer, a 24 year old who's getting started in development, it makes them want to work on Magento. That's really important, right? Or a merchant to say, hey, this is not a suicidal business decision to go on this platform and like assuaging those notions is really important for the long run, I would say. Yeah. 
Well, look, I, you know, I so you and I were both at the same dev exchange last week, I guess, you know, ships passing in the night. But <laughs> um, or but, I was just busy doing work and I couldn't really fully attend it. But I want to know about well, this that's the hard part thing. about virtual yeah. is that it doesn't yeah. always have your you can't take a day attention. off. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's that is the problem with virtual. But, you know, I, I would I would go as far as to say, based on the numbers of attendees that I was seeing, if, you know, in the chat and what have you there, yep. if the numbers being shown were accurate. There were people more hungry. people at a Meet Magento New York for a regional live event. Um, you know, so I, I think that we've, we're, pandemic partially, um, we've missed out on things like uh, Magento Imagine, mm-hmm. where even if it wasn't going to be Imagine, the Magento it. Association had every intent of having sort of a sub, you know, gathering, things like that at, um, at yeah, uh, we can't- Adobe Summit, which, you know, has been scuttled and has been, you know, uh, virtual. Yep. Uh, and I will be for. I don't know if I got my money back for those tickets. I can't remember. I didn't buy them. I was about to buy them. But anyway, the point is, is like that's where the we we can't really, um, you know, you can't really comment on the fact that the pandemic has sidelined everyone's vision. So it's easy for me to sit here and call out the Magento Association, but that's coming from a position of the last two years of being we live in a changed world, right? It's not the same place yeah. as it was two years ago. Therefore, who knows what well, would have happened? So I think my takeaway, you know, for the audience here, you know, is there are a lot of people like you that really, really, you know, feel strongly about how important this product is to the e-commerce ecosystem. It's not a one size fits all, but it plays a huge role. Yeah, it needs to exist. For so many businesses. Yeah. And that, you know, that we care um, and that we we want to participate. We want to make sure that things are are healthy um, for the foreseeable future and then some. Um, And and so, you know, I, I... uh, and I felt a lot of that at the Dev Exchange last week. That the people that were there were there with purpose, even though I wished it was a larger group. Um, that often happens with these virtual events. It's not like you know booking your flights and all that. That you know you hope you're going to do it, and then other things hit your calendar. Yep. And virtual is is tough. Um, but it's fantastic. This has been a marathon of an episode. I haven't done one yeah. this long in in quite a while. So I'm I'm really appreciative of you sharing all your time. Thank you. Uh, with, with us and the, the listeners and viewers. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap for today? Um, no, just saying, you know, thanks for having me on. And this has been a really exciting, interesting conversation. And I think it's important that, you know, stuff like this exists so that more awareness can be brought to what's going on in e-commerce and Magento. And because uh, so much of it, you know, it's just day-to-day business stuff. So it's really great to have an opportunity to sit down and share thoughts on anything. And, uh, you know, just thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, it's much appreciated. And um, as always to our audience, um, thanks for tuning in. Stay safe, stay healthy and happy selling out there. Thanks for listening to the JetRails podcast. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We also post full videos of most episodes on the JetRails YouTube and Facebook channels. You can find links at jetrails.com forward slash podcast. Have questions about an episode? Is there a topic you'd like us to cover in the future? We're at JetRails on LinkedIn and Twitter. Do you want to sponsor this podcast? Sorry, but we're committed to ad-free listening. We are, however, always looking for guests that our listeners will benefit from. And don't forget to like the podcast on whatever platform you're tuning in from. It's a small ask, but it's a big help. We appreciate it. And more importantly, we appreciate you.